0: You're part of God's. I've talked before about this. One of my favorite things to read are missionary biographies. And um, there's something about somebody just, just taking the gospel, just pioneering missionary work, taking the gospel into some unknown place that's never heard it It just speaks to me, just gets me. Well, all those missionaries that I read about, oh, as their source or their start or their inspiration, this guy Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, let, me, let me set up or introduce you to Paul. Paul was a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews he calls himself. So he was a serious, a serious Jew. But Paul is transformed by Jesus Christ. He has an experience of Jesus and then a further experiences with the community of Jesus, and his life is just totally transformed until he is so compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he sets off in this pioneering mission work. And I, he's, he's, I mean, I kind of want to, I can't, it's hard to overemphasize how significant a moment it is when Paul decides based on the conviction of Jesus Christ that he is going to take the gospel beyond the Jewish world to the nation's. And when we read Galatians, Paul is at that moment, he's on the cusp of what may be one of the most significant moments in human history, aside from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have this moment when this one guy, compelled by the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, believes that he is supposed to take that gospel beyond the bounds of this small people group to everybody. Like you and I would not be here If this moment hadn't happened so Paul's at that moment taking the gospel beyond this Jewish world to the nations to the Gentiles and there's some people who don't think he should do it there's people who do not think that God wants to bless everybody now think about that you and I hear that and we're like yeah of course that's what God wants to do there were people who were deeply convinced God did not want to bless everybody. He wanted to bless a few certain somebodies. And so Paul gets pretty worked up about this. He's pretty upset about it. If you read through Galatians, he says some pretty hostile things. Okay, I'm not going to defend Paul. He can defend himself. And uh, he comes, he kind of settles down in chapter 3, as much as Paul ever settles down. And he says this, okay. He's trying to convince those people that they're wrong. He's trying to justify what he's doing. And this is what he says. This is Galatians 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith, who believe, it's the same word, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles or the nations. It's the same word. That God would justify the Gentiles by faith, by believing, by believing. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. That's the gospel. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith or on believing are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith or the man who believed. Now pause here. To validate his mission, his ministry, centuries later, ages later. He refers back to this story that takes place in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which is forever ago. Okay. And he points back to this story, and he says, if you want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing, all you got to do is look back at this story so long ago where God preached what? the gospel to this guy named Abraham. All right. Now, this is pretty significant for me, and you can tell I'm kind of excited about this. I hope you'll come along and get a little more excited. Uh <laughs> A lot of people think that the gospel shows up in Genesis 1 when God creates the world, some of the language there. A lot more people think that the gospel shows up in Genesis 3 when we read about this person who will eventually come to crush the head of the serpent. Some people think the gospel's in the Noah story, maybe the gospel's in the Babel story, but this here, what Paul's referring to in Genesis 12 is the first story that the Bible itself looks back on and calls the gospel. Right. It's the first time the Bible looks back and says, that right there, what God said, right there was the gospel. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is like a three-legged stool. There is what we studied for the last year, the good news or the gospel of Jesus that we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the announcement about the life, birth, and or sorry, the birth, life, and death, resurrection of Jesus. There's also the gospel community, what comes after. We read about that in Acts and Paul's letters. But right here, okay, this is that third leg and maybe the most important. The gospel is this larger story that Jesus and then you and I are part of. Okay. So Genesis 12, come there with me now. Genesis 12 is the bigger story that Jesus is part of and therefore that you and I are part of. All right, so let's go back. Genesis 12. This is Genesis 12, verse one. The Lord had said to Abram. Now, Abram eventually becomes Abraham. I may switch back and forth between those two names today. Forgive me if I do, it's the same guy. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. Here's the promise, here's the gospel. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. Pay attention right here. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So verse four, this is what Abram does. So Abram went as the Lord had told him And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife, Sarai, who eventually becomes Sarah. If you want to change somebody's name, you just add an H in the Bible, okay? His nephew, Lot, and all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Now, pay attention here. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Mora of Shechem. And at that time... The Canaanites were in the land. Let me pause there. That simple sentence represents the first barrier to the gospel. The land that has been promised to Abraham from which God will bless the whole world, that's the gospel, is occupied territory. All right, keep going. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, literally to your seed, plural, I will give this land. Sorry, seed, singular, not plural. To your offspring, seed, singular, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, and with Bethel on the west of Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abram set out, and continued towards the Negev, towards the south. Okay, to understand this important passage, it's really helpful to remember kind of the lay of the land. So let's back it up. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, let me help you. We had a guy, a guest here came today. He said, the reason I'm here at church is because I want to understand more about the Bible. I don't know. So let me just talk like nobody knows anything. And let's let's, uh, provide some context here. The first stories in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Noah, the story of Babel, show a world that is created good and gets ruined or corrupted by human sin. That's the language of Genesis chapter 6. The world was ruined. It was corrupted. Okay. When I think about this, I try to picture it. I picture something like the, the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. You seen those pictures? You ever, ever seen the Ken Burns documentary or read Grapes of Wrath? Right. You've read those. It was this time in American history where you had these three factors that converged at the same time. You had really bad farming practices, okay? economic depression, and a severe drought. And the combination of those factors causes farms, especially in the Midwest, to just be ravaged and destroyed. Dust from those farms, the topsoil of those farms is blown all across the country. And one by one, the farmers on those farms lose everything. They pack up on these uh, flatbed trucks and and drive off to California to try to find work. You remember these stories? Okay, all right. I think about that when I think about this scene here in Genesis 12. Because the world is ruined, it's desolate, it's corrupted, and God makes this really important decision in Genesis 12. He's not gonna pack up on the flatbed and drive away, but he's also not gonna continue doing the same thing. Thing on the same ground he's gonna change his approach he's gonna pick one man Abram and through that one man in this one piece of land Canaan he's gonna bless the whole world that's what he wants to do that's the plan that's the gospel um, think about it like this imagine a parable imagine you're this farmer in 1930s Oklahoma and one by one during the Dust Bowl, you see all your neighbors pack up and leave. These are the people you know and love. You've known and loved them your whole life. Raised kids with them, borrowed sugar from them, cooked dinner. I mean, these are the people you love. And one by one, they pack up and leave because their farms have been ruined. And so you're facing this decision. Like, are you, are you going to leave too? And you decide, no, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to stay. You've had a couple years of biology in the local community college, and so you start working this ground. You start pay attention, pay, paying attention to the seeds that you're planting, and you keep track of which seeds are more resilient and which seeds are more tolerant and. Over the years, the seed gets stronger and stronger until eventually you land with this seed that transforms your whole farm. You you got this red clay and red dust everywhere else you look in Oklahoma, but your farm becomes this kind of oasis from this one seed. And so at that point, you call up all your old buddies who are off on the West Coast, and you call them up and you say, come home, I've got the fix. And the question is, is anybody going to believe you? Is anybody going to believe you? Paul thinks the gospel has two really important pieces. Okay? The most significant piece is what God is doing. But the second piece is what you and I are doing. And Paul makes this point when he reflects on the gospel. You have got to believe it. Okay? You've got to believe it. For him, Abraham becomes this kind of prototype or paradigm for everybody that will come after Abraham who believed that God's desire, God's purpose and will was to bless the whole world. And who just sell their lives for that, who give their whole lives believing this is what God's gonna do. He's gonna bless the whole world. And this is what Abram does. Look look back at the passage here in Genesis 12. Look, God calls him to go. He's called to leave his country to leave his people, to leave his father's household. You see how it's getting harder with each one? His country, this big region of territory, his people, the people he's part of, his dad's house. See how it's getting harder and harder with each one? And what does Abram do? He goes, just goes, just like that. And then he comes into the land that's been promised him, the land from which all this blessing is gonna come. The land is occupied. There are enemies in the land. And what does he do? He just starts building altars everywhere. (laughs) just building altars to the Lord who he believes is gonna reclaim this land and from this land bless the whole world. I mean, it's almost impossible belief that Abraham has, but he's got it. And so Paul says, if you wanna be part of the blessing, if you wanna be part of the gospel of God, the blessing of the whole world through this man, what do you gotta do? Belief he says. He puts it like this in verse 9. So those who rely on faith, believing, are blessed, along with Abram, the man of faith. Now, I want to point out that elsewhere, Paul connects believing to baptism. That's what happens when we're baptized, is this confession or announcement or celebration of our belief. But let me point out, okay, what you have got to do be a part of the blessing of God. The gospel of God is to believe. So it's one part of this gospel according to Paul, but it's the, the lesser of the two. The most significant part without a doubt is what God is doing to fulfill his gospel. One of our Ukrainian missionaries, I shift gears here for a second. One of our Ukrainian missionaries was actually in the States a few weeks ago. Um, Every couple of years, he takes a fundraising trip to America to raise funds for his ministry to those with special needs. And in Ukraine, this is a group that is severely overlooked. And so in some ways, our efforts to serve those families with special needs, um, we're we're behind the curve. He was was leading the way on that. We're learning from our missionary on that. I'm thankful for that. And so he comes here every couple of years to raise money for that that work. He buys wheelchairs and other um, items for those folks. And so we were afraid that trip wasn't gonna happen when Russia was on the border and we were getting concerned about it. So we rushed the trip, we got him over here. He started in the West Coast. He was there for a week raising money and then he was booked to come here the next day. But within 24 hours, we learned that all the flights back into Ukraine were being canceled. And so he has just a few hours to decide, is he gonna stay here or go back home? Think about that. Is he gonna stay here in America, where we're pretty safe, or is he gonna go back home to almost certain war? Has a couple hours to decide and he decides to go home. So I sent him an email once I knew that he had landed. He landed on, I think, the last flight into Ukraine, last passenger flight into Ukraine. I sent him an email. I said, hey, friend, I was saddened to hear that you wouldn't be able to make it back to Memphis, but I'm so glad you were able to make it home. That was much more important. I'm praying for you daily, and so is our church. Please keep me updated on what I can pray for specifically as things develop there. God is faithful. Peace, Eric. I sent that email before the war began, and as I've gone back and looked at that email so many times now, and his response to it, I can't shake those last words. God is faithful. And what he said was, I believe that. I believe it why okay what paul's trying to show us is that too many of us have um, memory problems (laughs) we suffer from memory loss okay paul has a, a biblical worldview a worldview that stretches back century millennia and what he sees is that god has been working since genesis 12 towards one purpose or one end and that is blessing everybody that's what God desires to do and specifically he's been working from that one man Abram to bless the world through his seed and Matthew shows us in Matthew 1 that Jesus is part of that family line and so Paul zooms in on that here back in Galatians in chapter 3 verse 16 this is what he said The promises, so the gospel promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, the blessing of the gospel, might come to the nations, the Gentiles, through Christ Jesus, the seed. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, what he means is Paul can like set out in this pioneering missionary work in the lands unknown towards people who are gonna mistreat him, eventually martyr him. That our missionaries can, can persevere, even decide to return home facing war because both believed But over the millennia of the Earth's existence, God has been faithfully working against opposition after opposition after opposition. God has continued to faithfully work to bring us to the moment when he has the seed that can transform the world. The seed that can bless and transform any life that it touches. That seed being Jesus Christ. And so if the first part of the gospel is our faith, our believing in it, the second part and by far more important is the faithfulness of God to fulfill his gospel of blessing the world in Jesus Christ. To do what he promised he would do to bring that gospel to fulfillment, to provide the seed that can transform anything in this world that's ruined. That's been his goal. That's been his purpose. That's been his will. And that has been his work from the beginning to bless everybody. That's the gospel. I came across a story the other day of George Washington Carver. You know George Washington Carver? I think we've got his picture. We'll throw it up here on the screen. Carver's story is much like that parable that I I started with. He he worked in a time in the South when uh, agricultural practices in the South, economic turmoil, had just really devastated farming in the South. And so he was a really smart man, botanist, scientist, and he had this little underfunded research farm. And he begins to work on this little underfunded research farm, studying different kinds of plants, trying to figure out the right plants that farmers in the South should plant so that they can be blessed again. Spends his whole life doing that. You know what he's most famous for? Anybody know? Peanuts. Yeah. Yeah, most people think we eat peanut butter because of George Washington Carver. So my kids love him. They love George Washington Carver. All right. One uh, journalist asked him one time, why did he do all this? You know, for years and years, working with these different kinds of plants, trying to find the one that would work in the South. And he said, well, someday I'm going to have to leave this world. And when that day comes, I want to feel that I've had an excuse for having lived in it. I want to feel that my life has been of some service to my fellow man, he said. He said, why am I doing it all? It's not for me. I want to bless people he says. He was also an artist. He was also a gospel preacher. He did a lot. He makes me look very lazy. <laughs> at the end of his life, he puts on this art show. He's an old man at, the, at this moment, he puts on this art show. And a journalist goes to his art show and she records this scene. It's so perfect. I have to read it to you. While a constant stream of visitors studied and admired the exhibit, the aged artist sat in his office on the other side of a glass door. A pile of mail was in front of him letters and telegrams from friends congratulating him on the opening of the art gallery. A bunch of okra fiber, or maybe it was yucca, was nearby. On a chair were brown cotton stalks. Close at hand was a bundle of herbs, lumps of clay, and some curious stones peeped out from under the bulletins. How have you been able to do so many different things, he was asked and his long brown fingers were busy untangling the shreds of okra fiber. Would it surprise you, he replied gently, if I say that I, have not, not, that I have not been doing many different things. And he reached across the table for a tiny green herb, the soil still clung to its thread-like roots. All these years, the artist continued, looking down at the flower in his hand, I've been doing just one thing just one thing and I heard that and I thought that's it and you know, this this moment is going to come when you and I stand before the father and we're trying to understand the many things that God is doing in the world and maybe you've had one of those moments in your life where you look back and you think about all the ups and downs in life and you're trying to make sense of all those things and you're wondering what so many of us wonder so often like God What are you doing? Like, how is this working? What's the the big plan here? Like, how are you doing so many different things? And if at that moment you hear anything other than this, I'll be surprised. Child, I've only been doing one thing, and that's working to bless you. Working to bless all that I've made. That's what I've been doing. You know I've been thinking about those that we love in Ukraine a lot this week and praying for them. Have you considered how incredible it is that one man can disrupt the whole world? I was talking to a professor in Abilene the other day who said his retirement account has been affected by a Russian dictator. How is that possible? That one man can affect the whole world? Well, We believe that, right? We're actually the people who believe one man can change the whole world. And that there is a man, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, whose whole purpose is to bless this world. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let me say a prayer of you as you're dismissed. God, this morning, we simply glory in your gospel. We glory in the good news, God, that you have been doing one thing throughout time, and that is working to bless your people. God, you have been working from ages past, since the time of Abraham. You have been working through obstacle after obstacle, barrier after barrier, to deliver to us that seed that can transform all that's ruined in our lives. You've been working, God, to bring to us your Son, Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection secures for us hope and future and above all, God, blessing. So today, God, this isn't about you asking something of us. It's simply about us glorying in the good news of Jesus Christ. May we, God, believe it. As simple as that. May we believe that you are faithful to bless us all. And may that hope anchor our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.